Good morning. I invite you to join me in inviting the Spirit into this place, joining me for a word of prayer. God of all creation, who provides us with good things, we have seen and continue to see all that you have done for us and give you praise. We have seen your active presence in this world, granting our salvation and giving birth to your church in which we gather to celebrate and remember when the Spirit moved your servants to gather all together, speak in every language, among all cultures and creeds. God, who unites everyone together, we give praise to you and pray in joy that you might continue to empower us to include and gather all your children together under your great wings. In all that we do as one church, may we give you praise. We give you praise when you answer our prayers. We give you praise when you don't, as clearly. We have recognized our relationship with you is one of joy and happiness, confusion and challenge, pain and death, hope and reconciliation over and over again. Be with us as we navigate our lives with you, O oh God, with wisdom to keep discerning your image in all creation and discerning your goodness in all your deeds. The psalm says that you provide sustainment and nurturing for all creation, for every person, every creature, with food from your hand filled with good things. We can know that all you have given us and all that you are is good. And this is what holds us close to you. Our hope is not contingent on you always giving us what we want. Our hope is not contingent on it being easy. Our hope is in your constant goodness that often will look different than what we would expect. When you hide your face from us, help us to not be dismayed, but know that you are never gone from us, but that you sent your son to be with us. Throughout every trial, every point of challenge, in death, as well as every blessing and in resurrection, Help us to know that at each step you are with us and grant us joy. Through all of this, may we sing to you as long as we live and praise you as long as we have being. Lord, turn our mourning into dancing. Empower us to praise you rather than remain silent. May we praise you all the day long and never grow weary. Amen. Morning, Yates. It is wonderful to be here with you on a Memorial Day. Uh, thank you uh, to several uh, names out here. Um, First, Mary Martha for setting the bar high today. That was a beautiful prelude. And uh, it is sometimes really intimidating uh, to get up here after you play so well. At least it's not Mary Martha and Courtney. I wouldn't stand a chance. Um, I'd like us to turn our attention uh, for a few minutes to Psalm 104. This is a really beautiful psalm uh, to read the whole thing, uh, but I would like us to focus our attention this morning on verses 24 through 35. So I'm just going to read that, but I do encourage you, go back and read it uh, a little bit later today. And my preference would be that you read it out loud. Uh, find a place where you can do that, but read it out and let the words seep into you through your ears. 
uh, do that a little bit later today. Let's, um, let's turn our attention to Psalm 104, verses 24 through 35. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, that is hallelujah. The first place, actually, that word appears in the Psalms. Let's pray. Life-renewing God, we join with you in delighting in the beauty of creation. And we praise and bless you for sharing all the beauty of yourself with us as it is expressed through creation. Breath of God, we praise you for daring to give yourself to us in ways that we can understand, appreciate, and accept. And yet also for still being such a wondrous mystery that we long to explore and to personally know. Amen. So let's get one thing out of the way. I am a huge sports fan. I love it. Teams, fandom, the momentum of the games, as ABC's Wide Worlds of Sports used to say, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. I am a forever fan. I don't think everyone is, but I think most of us have it within us. Case in point, last weekend and the PGA Tour Championship. Yep, golf, hear me out. If you haven't been captivated by this story yet, you have probably missed something pretty important. I don't watch a lot of golf, maybe an hour a year, just enough to see one of the big names finish a big major tournament if they're winning. No one is really paying attention to who won the PGA Tour Championship last week because the guy getting all the press finished 15th. Michael Block is a club pro from Mission Viejo, California. He works at a public golf course called the Arroyo Trabuco Golf Club, where he is the head professional. 
He's the guy you'd see in the shop if you come in and you want to play. Uh, you're going to play 9 or 18. I'll see you later. He's also the head teaching professional, $125 for 45 minutes of his time. The PGA Tour Championship is one of golf's major championship tournaments uh, every year, but it's also a chance for non-touring players to kind of get in on the action and showcase themselves and their skills alongside some of the best golfers in the world. There are spots for 20 players like this, club pros from around the country. They never get to play more than a round or two because they're usually just not in the same league as the big names. This is where things get interesting. Because last weekend, Michael Block was one of the 20 club pros playing this year. And he was the only one of the 20 to make the cut, to be below a minimum score after playing two rounds. That meant he got to play Thursday and Friday and then also into the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. That was enough because it was a kind of a rare occurrence to garner him some attention. The fans treated him like an everyman champion. He was doing what they wished they could do, doing it just like a normal, regular guy and taking the whole thing in. He got interviewed a few times, and it was just absolutely endearing uh, to hear those interviews. It really revealed his humility, his excitement to be where he was, doing what he was doing, and then came the weekend. Saturday and Sunday, he continued to play well. On Sunday, which was the last day of the tournament, he was playing so well that he was actually in contention to finish pretty high. There were even some uh, speculations out there. Here's, here's a way that he could win the whole thing. He was paired with Rory McIlroy, who was one of the best golfers in the world for his final round, and he continued to play very well. And then came hole 15, and that is when this happened. The 15th. The fairy tale story. one not even a bounce it flew to the green it landed in the hole perfectly not even Michael Block could believe it he asked several times is it is it did it go in you saw you, did it did it really go in did it the crowd was going wild he was amazed Rory McIlroy is the first one to kind of congratulate him can you imagine being in his shoes now on the last hole the 18th uh, Michael Block continued to play well. He hit two shots in a row and up and down. He chipped to the green and sank a pretty difficult putt. CBS announcer Jim Nance called it just magical because those two shots secured him a finish in the top 15. No one has ever made more of a big deal about finishing 15th in something than last weekend. And it gave him an automatic bid to play in next year's PGA uh, Tour Championship Tournament. And he also got invited to some other PGA Tour events, including one going on this weekend. After everything was over, there were more interviews, just as endearing as before, very humble. There was a video 
from his son, of people gathered in his club, not to watch the big guys, but to watch him. They sent it to him, they showed it to him on a phone, and he just broke down because of how emotional this was. This is easily the best sports story of the year. This is why we love sports. This kind of thing hits all the right notes. It tugs at the heartstrings. It speaks to something very deep in our souls. It awakens a sense of hope and wonder and excitement. I don't understand people who don't like this kind of stuff because it moves you. It's real. It's human. It's powerful. Even if you don't follow sports, even if you don't follow golf, chances are you've kind of learned to speak to people who do. You've learned the language. A lot of our language comes from these kind of arenas, right? Have you ever been in a sticky wicket? That refers to being in a difficult situation. It's a, it's a cricket reference, actually. It refers to the field being wet, so it makes it kind of hard to play on the field. Uh, have you ever felt like someone was moving the goalposts on you? Uh, that means uh, like changing the circumstances after something has begun. It's a football reference, right? Hail Mary, also football. Roll with the punches, boxing. Get in something under the wire, horse racing. Don't take your eye off the ball. Baseball. See, I knew you'd follow this stuff. Uh, bringing it up, it was just a slam dunk. Okay, there you go. Now, you may not be a golfer or somebody who likes to watch golf, but I'll bet that that video and the story about Michael Block moves you in some way. Whether or not you follow any of the other sports that I named a minute ago, and whether or not you're a fan of any sports, I'll bet you hear phrases like that, and it speaks to you in a way that you innately understand. As if you take in the story, or you hear those words naturally, without any need for translation. Now that's an appropriate image for Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday, as Sam reminded us, the, the birthday of the church. It's typically, we'd recall the story of the day the disciples gathered together and the Spirit of God descended on them like tongues of fire. And when they tried to explain themselves to everyone, everyone heard just like they should, naturally, without any need for translation. It was a miracle. When the masses of people heard Peter talking about his experience of Jesus and all that Jesus had been and done and said, by the time he finished, 3,000 people wanted to be baptized and wanted to follow Jesus. You might wonder why I'm not focusing our attention on that text for today. On the day of Pentecost, we celebrate the gift of God's Spirit, which gave new life to this discouraged, dispirited band of disciples and how they went out and turned the world upside down. At first glance, it may seem like the Spirit of God in Psalm 104 has very little to do with Pentecost, the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a little deeper dive and see if that holds up. So let's take a little closer look at Psalm 104 today. Psalm 104 is a creation psalm. It's Genesis 1 all over again. But this time, it's in a poetic form, not a narrative one. From the beginning of the psalm, we're treated to a depiction of the wonders of creation, the sky in verses 2 through 4, the earth in verses 5 through 9, the water in verses 10 through 13, the vegetation in verses 14 through 18, the moon and the sun in 19 through 23, the sea 
in verses 24 to 26. In wisdom, you have made the earth. The earth is full of your creatures, all of these things, the sky, the earth, the water, the vegetation, the moon, and the sun. These are the creatures. If one of the powerful indications of Pentecost is that God's Spirit transcends human barriers like language or understanding or race or nationality or more, then this psalm demands that we imagine God's Spirit moving out even further through all of creation, every part. Human beings are not the only creatures in God's kingdom. God's word is translated beyond human tongues and human ears to the rocks and trees, the skies and seas. And all God's critters have a place in the choir. Humanity does not sing solo. If we want to suggest that translation is the primary gift of Pentecost, we have to learn to speak or at least to hear in more than just the voices of people. It's noteworthy how little there is of people in this text. There's no command like there is in Genesis 1 to exercise dominion or control over creation. Humans are one part of a very rich and very varied community of the created order. The testimony of this psalm is that from every moment, from the very beginning, like every part of creation, our lives are in God's hands. We live because God has breathed life into us. Spirit, breath, wind in Hebrew, that's ruach, the same word. The Greek is pneuma, that's the gift that came on Pentecost. When we die, God takes our breath away, verse 29. New life comes when God remakes the face of the ground, verse 30. We are no different from other creatures with respect to the spirit that gives life. We are completely dependent on God for everything. In Ecclesiastes 3, verses 19 through 20, it kind of emphasizes that. And it says, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so does the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is vanity. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust. All return. It is a precarious thing to be a creature. And yet there is intimacy in this relationship of created and creator. God sustains the world in order to save it. Because God delights in the created order. That's what we read in Psalm 104. Even the great Leviathan, the dragon, the sea monster that is so fearfully presented everywhere else in, in Scripture frolics. And God delights to watch Leviathan frolic in the sea. The Lord is glad in his works. This, I think, could be one of the most overlooked aspects of God's character. We will very quickly agree that, that God has made the world and that God continues to sustain the world. What we forget is how God delights over the world. Jesus echoes this idea. He tells his disciples, don't be afraid, little flock. 
your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. We speak of God providing for us, or God saving us, or God blessing us, but do we speak about how God feels when God provides, saves, blesses? Does God care for us reluctantly, not these people again, shaking his head, rolling his eyes? What the psalmist, what Jesus says is that our Heavenly Father does not care for us reluctantly or from some sense of duty. He cares for us instead gladly. He delights in giving us the kingdom. We do not have to beg him to care for us. We don't have to manipulate or entice, impress God to act for us. Any more than we have to convince a fish to swim or me to like Oreo cookies. It's God's nature to willingly and joyfully care for us. This is the very essence of grace. God's care for us cannot be earned. It can only be received. And that joy is at the heart of God's very character and his creative power. To paraphrase Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's God's joy that surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the cosmos together. For all the world's greatness, for all its wonder and amazement, for all the psalm writer, the world is no independent thing. Without the divine sustaining force, it would not survive. The Heidelberg Catechism says it this way, God rules in such a way that the waves and the grass, the rain and the drought, fruitful and unfruitful years, food and drink, death and sickness, richness and poverty, and everything else come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. But we don't often feel, sometimes, so cared for. We don't always feel so present with God. Bad things happen to us. Bad things happen in the world. Sometimes we are the bad thing. We're inattentive to the good gifts of life and to the world. People we love hurt or betray us. The most faithful congregations sometimes find themselves in the most difficult of circumstances. Where is that creator and sustainer? It feels so absent. On the day of Pentecost, this psalm reminds us to account for the faith within us or the idolatry that distracts us from faith, saying with the trust that the poet expresses in this psalm, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will praise my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Now there's a phrase that can jostle us just a little bit. May sinners vanish from the world. This isn't a plea for some sort of vanquishing by God. God stomped them out. 
It's a testimony. It's a testimony that God's joy, God's love, God's persuasion will coax us back from our own self-made precipice. This verse feels like it interrupts the flow of what has been a powerful eruption of praise. Even the perfect harmony of all that God has made can be threatened by sin. This piece of the verse reminds us that the creation described by the psalmist is in the end, not a Genesis 1 world. It's not a Genesis 2 world. It's a Genesis 3 world. One where human sin inhabits God's good work. Psalm 104 is all the more remarkable because it testifies to God's joy and power and love and the goodness of creation, even when the psalmist is clearly aware of the constant efforts of the wicked to testify to something else and to move the world to something else. In Psalm 104, we are reminded that God's sovereign creative power persists still. And we're so moved by the beautiful picture of God's care that it paints. that We can be called to testify to that power with joy. Seeing the wonders of creation and God's providence doesn't encourage us just to stand back and say, wow, God is pretty great. It demands that our sin be removed so that we can participate in it, so that the creation can be entirely what God intends for it to be, including us. Our meditations should be pleasing to God, but they have to lead to responsive actions. It took effort on behalf of those early disciples on the day of Pentecost to convince people of the true word of who God was and everything that God had done for them. The gift of the Spirit on Pentecost was miraculous, but it wasn't magical. It takes patience and listening and discerning to find the truth. The rest of the world will sing out its own testimony, even without us. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, and there were shouts of Hosanna. Some people wanted to silence the crowd. What did Jesus say? If they don't shout, the rocks and the trees will take over. When Jesus died, the earth itself trembled and the sun went dark, shouting out in grief for the death of their creator. Creation is calling out all the time, calling out even to you, put in the work to hear it. Just yesterday, Robbie and I stood at our front door for a few minutes and we watched the bluebirds fly back and forth from the bluebird house that I built to the feeder where I put the dried mealworms that they like. They're feeding their hatchlings, there are four of them. I, I snuck a little picture of them. Uh, and they're back and forth. This is our second brood so far this year. It's really kind of fun to watch it. When you're outside watching this happen if you stop and you're quiet and you listen really close you can hear the hatchlings squeaking out you can hear them in the house it doesn't take intense listening but you do have to pay attention 
It's like when uh, I'm sitting on the couch with my feet propped up at night and our dog, Franklin, jumps up in my lap and he lays down, he plops his head down and then he goes to sleep. And he breathes slow and deep. He gets comfortable. You hear his breath and you just know that he's content. And it's like he's saying that everything is right in his world. You have to listen to the world sometimes and just hear the way the tree limbs rustle in the breeze. I watch our garden day after day and I see our squash plants grow from seedling to flowering plant to budding with fruit to soon full-grown delicious yellow squash. I've watched our irises bloom and then the lilies and pretty soon our black-eyed Susans will do the same thing. They'll spring up and they burst forth with color. When you stop and you take in the majesty of God's world and all that's within it, it's astounding. It's amazing. It's moving. It works its way into your very soul like the primal story that it is. It is creation continuing. God's ongoing work. God's own spirit hovering not just over the waters in Genesis 1, but hovering even now, active even now in the world. I have a little book of wisdom that I pull out every now and then. Uh, it's called Children's Letters to God. Uh, it is full of remarkably deep thoughts. Uh, let me share a few with you. Uh, Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? Anita. Uh, that's not the Anita back there, by the way. Uh, dear God, did you really mean do unto others as they do unto you? Because if you did, then I'm going to fix my brother, Darla. Dear God, I wish you would not make it so easy for people to come apart. I had three stitches and a shot. Janet. Dear God, I keep waiting for spring, but it never come yet. Don't forget, Mark. Dear God, I am doing the best I can, Frank. This is one of the best ones in the whole book. Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Eugene. This is the Psalm 104 praise of God, a sacramental sense of the presence of God in a continuous and daily format. God is more than a clever inventor who puts things together and then moves on. God sustains and engages creation on a regular basis. Our modern scientific view is very different. We get a new light every day because the earth rotates our portion of the planet back into view of the sun. But for the psalm writer, we get a new day because God calls it into existence. 
we speak of sunrise and sunset, scientifically knowing it's the earth that moves and not the sun. But that very language, sunrise and sunset, points to a longing deep in our hearts. It is spiritual poetry expressing a longing that our universe has meaning, that our lives have meaning, and that meaning is found in order and created and sustained by God. Pentecost is the day when God's own spirit floods us and the world with a renewing life and sets us on a path to remake the world in God's order and with God's own help. That's what it means to experience the gospel in this text today. We live in a world that feels like sometimes it has gone wrong. Because sometimes it has gone wrong. But God has not left us alone or abandoned here. God tamed the primordial chaos, chasing the waters back from the land, setting the lights in the sky, filling the earth with all manner of beautiful things. God is still making order out of chaos, especially when things fall apart around us. The Spirit of God covers all the bases. It flows through everything and in everything in ways that are available to us daily and are at the same time beyond our ability to comprehend. The crowds of Jerusalem heard the proclamations about this God on the day of Pentecost and asked in Acts 2.12, what does this mean? We ask that question too, and the psalmist gives us an answer. If we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive, we will find God at the center of not just our life, but at the center of all of life. That God is calling out with joy from every corner of the cosmos. Our response? To praise God as long as we live. Amen.